I'm going to begin by reading to you a statistic. And it's a stat that, when I read it, it shocked me. It really shocked me. And I think it maybe shocked me because I'm pretty naive to the implications of war. I think, like many, I've grown up in this bubble where my life's pretty comfortable, really, and war's either back there in the past or it's out there on the other side of the world and it's never really invaded my own personal space. And to my shame, I've never really stopped to consider the consequences or the implications of war for others. But I read a stat like this and my mind can't comprehend it. Here's a statistic. World War One. 16 million people lost their lives. 16 million people, military men, civilians, 16 million, that's 16, zero, 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 zero. That's the population of Oxford, 21, 22 times over, wiped out within a four-year period. And that's before we even consider the 21 million other casualties of World War I. And that's before I start to consider, and I don't want to say this glibly, but that was just one war. I should never use the word just to describe the atrocities of World War I, but those figures were dwarfed by the 70, 80 million deaths in World War II. But the world's no different today, right? We've seen the pictures on the screen in Bosnia. It wasn't just something for them. This is a reality of the world today. The world is no more a stable place today than it was then. The world is no more a better place today than it was then. The world is no less at conflict with itself today than it was then. But you know what gets me most? I look at statistics like that. But they're not statistics, right? They're not just mere numbers on a page. We're talking about real people individual human souls. We're talking about real lives. We're talking about the people left behind. Real families, real marriages, real friendship, real people whose lives have been ripped apart. Ripped apart at the very seams. You see, today, Remembrance Sunday, it's a sad day. It's an important day in our calendar. It's ever so important for me and for you to stop and take stock and to look back. To look back and remember and to give thanks. To give thanks for all those that have given of themselves, they've given their lives, they've sacrificed their own lives in order to protect the future of others. And it is right and it is a good thing that we look back and we're thankful. And we look to those today and are thankful also. But you know what? I cannot look back and give thanks without being reminded of just how broken this world is, right? Because the moment I look back and give thanks for someone who's given their life, the reality is they've given their life. It is a broken world we live in. And every time I see a pop in someone's blazer or jumper, and you've seen them all over the place the last two weeks, it's not just a symbol of remembrance and thankfulness as we look back to the past, It is a reminder every time I see one of the brokenness of this world. It is a fragile world. It is a world that is cracking at the seams, that is groaning under the weight of sin. Life is fragile and I cannot help escape it on a day like this when I see the poppies all around. You see, in the midst of life, 
in the midst of all that I have now, in the midst of uh, my dreams and ambitions and hopes for the future and, and all the things I'm involved in that keep me ticking over now, in the midst of life, life as you know it, today tells me I'm faced with this great reality, death. Yet the hope for us this morning, and it's a hope that shines out of John chapter 11, that in the midst of death, in the midst of a broken world in which we're surrounded by pain, suffering, death, disappointment, frustration, Jesus steps into this world and he comes as the one that will bring life. He leaves the very heavens and he stands there and he says, it is a broken world, fact, but you know what? I can bring life in the midst of death. And there's a magnificent conversation. And here's the heart of the passage. John 11, 25 and 26. We're going to go back, but I want to start here. Because Jesus is in a discussion with Martha. And for Martha, this is so raw. It's so fresh. She's just lost a brother, Lazarus. And Jesus says to her, Martha, I'm the one that can bring life in the midst of death. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And can you imagine Jesus' eyes searching the soul of Martha? Martha, do you believe who I say I am? Now in this time of hurt and pain, do you believe that I am the one that can bring life in the midst of death? But for us this morning, in one sense I don't mind about Martha now. I mind about you. I mind about me. I mind about my family and my friends and where they stand before this God. What do you make of Jesus this morning? In your heart of hearts, do you believe that Jesus is the one that can bring life in the midst of death? It's a question that I'm going to come back to again and again. And I'm just going to ask three questions of this passage as we work it through from the start to the end. And here's the first question. Do you believe? Not Martha, not Mary, not the disciples, not the person you sat next to, not your pal back home. Do you believe? Come with me to verse 1. And the story begins. Here's the situation. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and a sister Martha. Here's the context. Mary, Martha, sisters, brother, Lazarus, family. They love each other. Lazarus is sick. And when we read that word sick there, let's understand that Lazarus hasn't got the sniffles. He's not got man flu even. Lazarus is in bother. This man is at death's door and you can see that from the urgency of the plea in verse 3 because Mary and Martha, they care for their brother, they love their brother and they send message to Jesus. You know why in verse 2? Because they've already met him. They've already met Jesus. They know what he's capable of. So with urgency they send word out to Jesus. Look what they say in verse 3. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Jesus, please come and help. Lazarus who you care for. He's dying. Then you see Jesus' response in verse 5 and verse 6 because it's maybe not the response that you'd expect. What do you expect of Jesus? Drop everything, right? 
Jesus, leave the lot. Get there, double time. Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. Come and help this man. You're capable, you can do it. What does Jesus say? And listen, see if you can see the tension in these words as I read out verse 5 and 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He cares for Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Yet, this message comes, Lazarus is desperately ill. What does Jesus do? He stays where he is two more days. Why? Why does Jesus stay where he is? Imagine that today, right? Imagine you sending out a last gas ditch attempt when you're in a moment of complete confusion. You can't do anything to help yourself. Out there on the waters, on the seas, mayday call, boats going down, you've got one bar left on your phone. I've got one call left, who am I going to ring? I'm going to ring my mate Lanky. Lanky will help me, right? Lanky's going to help me. Last bar, Lanky, I've got more coordinates, here they are, bum, 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 bum. Lanky, I'll get back to you in a couple of days, bang. Bar's gone on my phone, there I am, stranded. Lanky, what are you doing? If he cares for me, right, he's going to try and help me. And he might not be able to do anything about it. But he's sure got to give it a go, right, if he's bothered about me. But in this story, we've got a man, Jesus, who can do something about it. He is capable. Two chapters earlier, he's healed a man born blind from birth like that. It's easy for Jesus. Yet he stays where he was two more days. Why? It's a question the world asks again and again, isn't it? When we're in that moment of hardship and the troubles come and the pain seems to envelop us and the world cries out, why doesn't God turn up? If he knows something about it, if he can do something about it, why doesn't he show up? Where's God in my time of need? Where is he? Where's he gone? Why does Jesus stay where he is two more days? Well, I think part of the answer is in verse 14 and 15. Because Jesus now gathers his disciples and he's en route to Bethany. But as he sets out, Lazarus is dead already. And he tries to explain to his disciples in this language of sleep in verse 12 and 13. And they don't grasp it. And so he says to them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, disciples, I'm glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Jesus was glad he was not there in time so that the disciples would believe. Jesus purposely delayed his visit to Bethany. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. Why? So as Jesus walked all the way to Bethany, as the disciples followed him, that the disciples would watch this man Jesus walk up to the tomb itself and say, Lazarus, come out, and with three words, death is conquered. And the disciples would go, whoa, this man Jesus really is who he says he is. This man Jesus really can bring life in the midst of death. It was so that the disciples would believe that they could see that Jesus Christ has authority over death. But it's not just for the disciples, and it's not just for Mary, it's not just for Martha. Because if you turn back with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 13, 31, 
John, at the end of this account of Jesus' life, he explains why he's written what he's written, and this is what he says, John, John 20, verse 13, 31. Jesus did many of the miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Jesus did loads of stuff. It's not recorded here, there's too much of it. Verse 31, that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote down John chapter 11, and it is open before us this morning, 2,000 years on from when this account actually happened. Why? Not for Mary now, not for Martha now, not for the disciples now, but for you. For you, that you may believe that what? Jesus is the Christ. He's the King, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. He's God himself that has left the heavens to enter this broken world, to die for it and rise again. And that by believing in him you may have what? Life. Life in his name. And when I say life, I don't mean 60 years of life here without the possibility of conflict, as good as that would be. When Jesus says life, he means life. He means a whole world of peace. He means a world of love. He means a world of joy. He means a world that is absent of all the brokenness, all the pain, all the things we've seen on the images on the screen. The hatred, the hurt, the evil, the disappointment, the frustration, it will be gone and it will last forever. It is life that stretches beyond the grave and goes into eternity. And Jesus says, John chapter 11 is written for you, that you may stand there now and see Jesus, who 2,000 years ago walked up to a grave and with three words said, Lazarus, come out, and death was conquered. Death was conquered. But the question for you is, do you believe? Because Jesus' question to Martha wasn't just for Martha, it's for you. You've got to search your own hearts. Do you believe this? And here's the second question. It's not much more complex. Do you believe in Jesus? Not only do you believe, but do you believe in Jesus? I've got a lot of friends, and I was back, no, I haven't got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of friends that believe what I'm going to say, I'm going to say now. I've got mates, and I was with some of them last night. And there may be a lot of your friends are like this. Maybe you're like this as you're sat here this morning. Friends that believe in some sort of life after this one. They're there and they're like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be some sort of light at the end of life's dark tunnel. Hey, I don't know what it is. I can't grasp it. I'm not sure. But I reckon there might be something out there. I've got a lot of mates in that position. A lot of mates who will believe probably in something beyond the physical realm that I can see and touch. There's got to be something else out there, right? There's got to be someone pulling the strings. There's got to be someone who's made it. I don't know what he is. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know who he is. But I reckon there might be someone out there. That may be you. I've got a lot of good friends who are in that position. But you know what Jesus says to them in this passage? He says that's not enough. He says it's not enough to have some vague concept of a life after death. It is not enough to believe in some vague description of a God that you might want to put together. It's not enough. 
Look what Jesus says in verse 25. As he looks Martha in the eye, he says, Martha, who's it all about? Me. I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me, Martha, will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says there's all these different ways that people try and throw out there and say this is the way you get to life. He says they're wrong. The only way is through me. I, I, I. Me, me, me. Jesus says I'm the life and there is no other way. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. You see the reality, Jesus says it here, we all will die, right? He who believes in me will live even though he dies. It's a reality that we cannot escape from on a day like today. We all will die. One day, as hard as it is to grasp, my heart will beat for the last time. Fact. One day, the last little electrical impulse will be sent from my brain to my toe or to my finger and it will twitch for the last time. Fact. One day, my eyes with which I look upon you now, for the last time, will close upon the view of this world before they open on the next. Death will come to us all. We cannot escape it, but Jesus says there is a solution to it, because whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. It is not death full stop, it is death comma. Death is not the end, there is a life beyond the grave. And maybe you're sat there thinking, well, these are just words, right? And so many people say they're just words, and they're not words. Which is why Jesus gives us the sign at the end of John chapter 11, when he bowls up to the grave of Lazarus himself. They're not just words. He says, look, I'm not just talking about it. I can do it. Watch me. Watch me. I can do it. And I read those words, and I read them out just before I started, and they should take hold of our hearts if you understand the magnitude of what Christ has done, I'm trying to think how can I best explain the ease with which Jesus conquers death here. And this is the best I could think of. Imagine, some of you might have to cast your minds back quite away for this one, but when you get a supply teacher in school, it's time for mischief in the classroom if you're a young person, right? Supply teacher, sorry if you're a supply teacher. Supply teachers come in and it's pretty much just carnage in there. It's chaos, it's disorder, because it's a time when you reckon you rule that classroom. I reckon we've all been there. But you know what, the moment the headmaster walks in and says, Quiet! Every single student goes like that, yeah? Arms crossed, back straight, sits there, eyes frozen, looking forward. They sit up and pay attention. Why? Because authority has walked into the room. And when authority walks into the room, you listen and you obey. In John chapter 11, authority walks into the room. Jesus Christ walks up to the tomb. Death itself, our final enemy. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And death obeys. Because it can do nothing else but sit up and pay attention when the Lord of life speaks to it. He who believes in me will live, 
even though he dies. Mary, Martha, disciples, do you believe this? Friends, today, do you believe this? Because it's just a picture of what was to come for Christ himself, who died for us on a cross to take away our sin, and then rose again to new life himself, self, smashing death to pieces, and he just says, follow me, just come with me, trust me, follow me into heaven. I'm going through death myself, I'm going to die physically for you, and rise to eternal life forever. I'm just going to, just come. What's stopping you? Just come with me to life. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? And here's my final question. Do you believe in Jesus now? And this is where we wrap things up this morning. Do you believe in Jesus now? Because you know what? One day it will be too late. This world is ever so fragile. Ever so fragile, I do not when, I do not know when I will breathe my last in this world. I don't know when that day will come. I know that there's six or seven mates that I went to school with in my class and are no longer with us. It's a pretty small class, that's a lot of people. Death is just around the corner for all of us, whatever that looks like. 70 years, it's around the corner still, really, isn't it? Death will come to us all. Do you see who the promise is for? Verse 26, whoever lives, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, this is a promise for whoever lives. It's too late when we die to turn to Christ. It's too late then. This is for the now to trust Christ. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. It's today, I don't know whether I'll have a tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. One day every single knee will bow before God Almighty on that final day. Philippians 2 tells us that every single person will drop the knee before God. And you see, some people will do it that day gladly. They will fall before King Jesus and they will say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me on a cross and taking away my sin. It was so undeserved. Thanks. Thanks for rising again. Thanks for smashing death to pieces. Thanks that you're the Lord of life and you've called me into your kingdom forever. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus will envelop you in his arms and he will say, come on in, enjoy it, it's yours, it's life and it will never go. But others on that final day will be able to do nothing but bow the knee before a holy God. Because all people will acknowledge him. You'll either acknowledge him gladly and walk into his new kingdom forever and receive the benefits of it for eternity. Or you won't taste the life that Jesus talks about. You see, the promise is for whoever lives. There is an urgency to this. And this might be for you this morning. Well, it's for us all. Because if you are a Christian, you already know this. This is a message that the world needs to know, right? What do your friends and family need to know more than this? There's life beyond the grave and it's found in Christ and Christ alone. It's a message that has got to go to the ends of the world. From that little group of people in the church in Bosnia, 15, 20 of them now, it's the message of hope that they want to take to the world, that Christ has died and risen. And it's the same message that we've got in Oxford. It's the same message that our friends need to hear as well. It's a promise for whoever lives. I want to finish by telling you a little story 
of a lady called Enid who I met three weeks ago down at a church in Devon. She's 88 years old, so she was born not long after World War I, lived through World War II, and she was telling me the story of during the Blitz one night, and she was, she was in the kitchen, under the kitchen table, with a mum, a brother and a sister, four of them, arm in arm, sheltering under this kitchen table. And she says, all around was chaos and disorder. She said, I could hear the air raid sirens going off, you could hear the planes coming in, you could hear the bombs even dropping, it was that cute, the sound. And she says, I can hear the crying, you can hear the bombs drop, you just didn't know where they were going to drop. And then she said, we were arm in arm, under the kitchen table, with all this chaos and commotion going on around, And she said, as we sat there under the table, we sang together, our God still on the throne. Our God is still on the throne. I don't know the hymn, but I'm pretty confident I know what it talks about. That in a world in which we're faced with what we're faced with today, our God is still on the throne. He reigns, he rules, and one day he's coming back to sort out everything once and for all. But until that day comes, we trust Christ and we live for Christ in this world and we affect it with the good news that we've been talking about. Two weeks on from that, they were clearing all the stuff away after the bombs had been coming, and they actually found two unexploded bombs in the basement of the house. The point of the story isn't that God will always deliver you from that specific moment. He won't. He didn't for Lazarus, right? In that moment. He won't always rescue in that immediate moment. This side of heaven there is brokenness and pain and hardship. Because of sin in this world there is. The point of the story is there is a security in Christ that is eternal and lasts forever because one day we won't be sheltering under a table in the kitchen, we'll be sheltering in the new heavens and the new earth. The new world of love and peace and joy that Jesus Christ offers to every single one of you and he holds out his hand and he says, just come follow me. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you don't this morning, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Because Jesus died and risen and one day he's coming back. And if you have, if you're sat there this morning, you know your death's been conquered. What a thing that is. Death has lost its sting, right? There's hope, there's joy, there's confidence, there's life, there's security. Whatever happens to me now, it's all there ahead of me as well. The challenge for you is will you take it out to this world because it is a world that is groaning at the, under the strain of sin and one day it will crack once and for all. Do you believe and do you love your friends enough to take the message to them as well?